Hey there, Cape Cod. It's high noon on Wednesday. Time for another episode of Life with Gwen. I'm so excited today because with us is someone that many of you may already know. Um, we are with Jung Ho Park, and he is the artistic director and conductor for the Cape Symphony Orchestra. Thank you so much for coming. It's great to be here, Gwen. So, Thank you so much. It, uh, it's been a long time since we spoke, and there's so much going on that we wanted to have a chance to catch up and uh, learn a little bit about what's going on. So mm -hmm. I see that you brought um, the new season. So yeah, you can go online at capesymphony.org, and I think you can download the the PDF of that, and so you can follow along. Great, great. Well, I'd love to talk a little bit about um, how you choose the concerts that you're going to do, but maybe we could start because right this weekend you have some interesting things coming up, uh, starting Friday. Actually, Saturday. Uh, we're rehearsing Friday. Right. And but that's an open rehearsal. Oh, right? you know what? You're absolutely right. This part of Arts Week, isn't it? You were going to be surprised when we all showed up. <laughs> well, the reason I, I couldn't remember is because we don't usually open up a rehearsal. So this is a rare opportunity for people who don't know, don't normally know how the how the restaurant works behind the scenes. This is a chance to come into our rehearsal and hear me fix things and compliment the orchestra and move things to another level. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine that that would make for an even richer experience on Saturday and Sunday uh, if people are, you know, buy tickets to the um, to the concert that's Saturday night and then on Sunday afternoon. I think it's really revealing when you can see a piece that's taken apart and you can hear it actually getting better. And then when you go to the concert and you feel like, wow, this is even different than the dress rehearsal. I think that's another thing people think. You go to the dress rehearsal, it's exactly like, not at all. In fact, at the concert, I think I take more risks. If the dress rehearsal goes well, then I feel like we can actually take it faster, take it slower, do things to shake it up just to get the orchestra uh, a little bit more looser and a little bit more emotional. Mm -hmm. And is that a decision you make like on, on Friday when you're rehearsing? It's a, it's a decision I make on Friday. It's also a decision I make on Saturday. So let's say we give a concert and it goes beautifully. And I go, okay, on Sunday, I'm going to do something very risky. I'm going to do it much different. And usually, actually, I mean, I hate to say that, but in some ways, Sunday, I think, is even more exciting than Saturday. Saturday's beautiful performance, but I think Sunday is where we take our risks. So, you, you know, I mean, the wonderful musicians that you have, you already have the, the basic sound, but then you start to add that sort of uh, even more creative layer when once you... Or have rehearsed the basics? Exactly. Or? I mean, we start rehearsing on Wednesday night mm -hmm. and then Thursday night and two rehearsals on Friday. But the very first rehearsal, if you were to come tonight, tonight's our first rehearsal, you would find me actually being very quiet for the most part. I start conducting and I let the orchestra find its way and, and, then, and mentally everyone's going, oh, okay, 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 I'll do this here, I can get away with this, this is how fast we're going to go. And then I'll go back and we'll do the piece again. And so usually I just want them to figure out what they can do to, do to do the best. And then tomorrow night, as I rehearse, then I start digging in. I start opening up the body a little bit, and mm -hmm. I start um, giving my ideas of how it should go. And then as we get closer to the dress rehearsal, then I sew things back up again. Yep. And then we have our collaborative interpretation. That sounds really interesting, and, and it is exciting. Uh, you need to make a reservation uh, for Friday night. Um, so people, if they are interested, should go to capesymphony.org. 
That's right. For the details. And um, and then um, that's free. And then, of course, it's a regular ticket prices for Saturday and Sunday because that's your uh, romantic music concert, right? Yeah. Let me just clarify. So the Friday evening is free. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? It's, it's a kind of an open house for us. And then, uh, but our you can purchase a, a regular ticket. Uh, you're right, online at capesymphony.org right. for Saturday night and Sunday. For the same program, so you can see you can see the program being made if you uh, go on Friday night and uh, and watch the uh, and watch the rehearsal, which is so key, such a key thing. I uh, I always you know I write about food also, and I'm always really interested to be in the commercial kitchens. Isn't that wonderful? I think people just sort of expect all of us to show up in our tuxedos or our suits, and everything is perfect, and all every little hair is in place. And what's exciting is that it, it's so human. In fact, I think that's probably some of our curse. Sometimes we play so well, so perfect, that people think there's no effort in, in it. Mm. And so I appreciate it when people do come see the rehearsal, that they go, this is a minor miracle. This is a miracle of getting 60 to 80 people on stage at the same time and to actually do something so quickly and so collaboratively. There's, there's nothing like it in the world. Have, have you had an open rehearsal before? We do rarely, sometimes for donors. So I think, again, this is a very rare opportunity for the general public to come and, and have that opportunity. And do you find that when there's an audience at your open rehearsal that, that it, it affects it in any way? I don't think so because usually, I mean, what's interesting is that my back is to the audience mm -hmm. when I'm conducting. And so I'm not really aware of who's sitting behind me and who's not. I mean, maybe our musicians feel like, oh, well, you know, someone's watching, so maybe I have to be on my best behavior. But once you're in the heat of the moment, everyone's just making music. So I don't and think And as you me. mentioned, everyone's in street clothes, I would imagine, for the rehearsal, just making music and, and, and not sort of presenting the way they will at the, the show. I think that's also one of the most beautiful things about coming to see a symphony rehearse is you're right. I mean, we do wear jeans and t-shirts and things like that, but what comes out of our instruments is like a Mona Lisa. It's absolutely beautiful. So that juxtaposition of a modern American orchestra that you know everyone puts on their pants one leg at a time and creating something so incredibly beautiful and magical um, it actually gives you hope that every person can be a great artist. So it's, it's uh, and I can, as you're speaking, I can see myself sitting there thinking, this is the, uh, the these people individually, um, together, there's so much more, you know, it's, it's the, you hear that expression about how together things are. More than the sum of their parts. Yes, yes, more than the sum of their the parts. parts. So, yeah. Well, that sounds interesting, and uh, I um, can you tell me a little bit about a couple of the pieces you're playing at this weekend's concert? Well, this weekend, I think yeah, it's going to be very, very popular because the three pieces we're playing have very famous melodies in them. The first one we're doing is Tchaikovsky's Romeo and Juliet, mm -hmm. his tone poem. And everyone knows the famous love theme in the middle. You know, we've seen it in commercials and in movies of people sort of running slow motion in the field and hugging each other. But it, it actually comes in the middle of an amazingly dramatic piece of music. So that's going to be very popular. Tchaikovsky's always a hit. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to do Rachmaninoff, his... A rhapsody on a theme of Paganini, the famous violinist Paganini. And he took this little tiny snippet of a melody and he 
Rachmaninoff turns it into this gorgeous feature for piano and orchestra. We're going to be working with a brilliant pianist named Natasha Peremsky, who I'm working mm -hmm. with for the first time. And she's a fiery player, so dynamic on stage. And in the why why is this on our love stories program? All of the all of the theme of this program is love stories. Is that in this one variation? I think it's the 18th variation. There is this beautiful version of the melody with piano that was that's also been used in movies. One of my favorite uses was Somewhere in Time, starring Christopher Reeves and Jane mm -hmm. Seymour. And I don't like a lot of classical music, how it's inserted into movies. It's kind of a hamburger helper, kind of instant uh, effect. And always the same sometimes, pieces. Sometimes it is. Like, pieces, yeah, yeah, like, so. like Hulse the Planets, Mars is often over overused. Carmina Baran is overused. But for me, in this movie, I thought it was just perfect. It's, uh, and I'm a, I'm a sap for a good love story. So um, I'm going to play a little bit for the audience, and then we're going to play the entire piece with Natasha. And on the second half, we're doing one of the greatest ballet scores, very fiery, passionate, sensuous ballet scores by Maurice Ravel. Everyone knows Ravel from his bolero and right. some of his other other pieces. Speaking of in movies, uh, that was a piece in 10, was it not? It was. It was used oh. in, in 10. That's right. And this ballet score is just so incredibly colorful. And I think people are just going to really fall in, in love with it. I, it's also a milestone for me because every year I choose two or three pieces during the season that I think are real tests for the orchestra. We just earlier did the ring cycle, music from the in ring In terms cycle. of skill or in terms of the audience accepting or... Both, I think. Mm -hmm. I think there are times there are pieces that are just incredibly epic in its scale. When we did the Wagner, the Ring Cycle music uh, in January, and then yes, you're right. Sometimes I'll program a piece that I think most orchestras would stay away from because they think, oh, it's too intellectual. But the way that I and you've been to my concerts, the way that I try to do it is I I explain it in a way that any average person goes, oh, okay. You know, you relate it to life. I relate it to life. So, and, and 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 I always think, what does the average person think? Like, why should I care? What does it have to do with me? When I do make that connection, people are very accepting. So, Gwen, on one hand, I think our programs are incredibly accessible, but I would also say, if you were to look at pound for pound, the pieces were also one of the most adventurous orchestras mm -hmm. around. But you're really getting, you're expanding not only your knowledge but your emotional base when when the music uh, is there and offered in, in, that you wouldn't normally think to play. I'm so glad you put it that way, expanding the emotional base. I think people think when they come to a classical concert that the, the emotional base is very, very narrow. Um, I often have a joke that says classical musicians sometimes have two emotions. One is serious and the other one is more serious. <laughs> and, and you know who laughs most? It are classical musicians. Because well, they kind of get it. They go, oh, oh yeah, you know, you're right. We, we do are very serious people. I, I think one of the reasons we're so success, successful and why our audiences are so big is that people really see our musicians having a good time and laughing and being risky. That's our, our secret sauce. I had uh, the pleasure of interviewing uh, your concertmaster and also uh, mm -hmm. the, the uh, lead flautist. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. it was, uh, no, it wasn't the flautist. I, I forget. There are a lot of people, and I do forget, but um, it... Uh, 
let me think about this, but I, it will come to me. You guys know I forget things. Uh, that, that, that's okay. Um, was but, it our uh, oboist, maybe? Yes. Yes. yes thank you. She is lovely. She is very lovely. She is funny. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yes. um, and it was very human um, that uh, they were both funny. And it was interesting because I had this conversation with, with Jay where I said, mm -hmm. I, I know some classical music, but if you make a joke, that you would make to classical musicians, I won't get it. And he said, oh, I know what you are. He said, yes, I understand that. I said, yeah, I, I mean, I, I won't get the double entendre in a music joke, you know? So <laughs> you'll have to explain some of those uh, to the audience sometime. But, uh, you know, I have known you for years. Mm -hmm. And, uh, mm -hmm. um, but as we say, we know people, but we don't, you know, we don't really know them, you know, mm -hmm. they're hanging out, having it's dinner true. and stuff. But um, that's kind of true with my audience too. I, people come up to me all the time and just like, with such familiarity and warmth mm -hmm. and affection that I really enjoy. But uh, sometimes they'll just see me from afar for many years and feel like they know me. And that's yep. really rewarding. Well, let's give people a little bit of, of a glimpse behind that, mm -hmm. you know, because that, that is nice. They know you in context, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but then they don't know you in the supermarket. Some people do. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, um, before we start, I want to remind people who are out there, if you have a question for Jung Ho Pak, please mm -hmm. feel free to uh, type it in and we'll get those answered for you. And also, um, I will ask a few questions while you're doing that. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about um, about your background in terms of, uh, we were chatting before, mm -hmm. you said born in San Francisco. Yeah, very near San Francisco. It's a city called San Mateo, just below San Francisco. So if you fly into SFO, you'll, you'll be kind of close to where I was born. But I really grew up in San Francisco, and then later on Silicon Valley, Cupertino, near Apple Computer. And, so you're a uh, West Coast guy. I, I, I'm, and even more specifically, I'm a Northern California guy. Uh -huh. And for those of you who know the difference between Northern California and Southern California, those are like, that's like the Mason-Dixon line of, 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 of culture and, and of attitude. Uh, what does that mean? It, it means that I think, you know, Northern California, we're less focused on necessarily media and entertainment. Uh, when I went, I, I worked in Los Angeles. I was on faculty at USC for many years, and it was a culture shock to be so close to Hollywood and that whole thing. But it also taught me a lot about media, and I, I got to work with Disney for several years ah. as well. People don't know that much about my history in that, but I learned that media is an extremely powerful medium in order to be able to convey something to a lot more people than you would if they just attended a concert. And of course, it's changing so fast now because, mm -hmm. you know, we, we all have the internet. So um, mm -hmm. what I find in my business, what we try to do is work with it, you know, rather than resist it. It's here. The train has left the station. The, the so. dam is broken and you, you've got to be part of it rather than, and, and that's, I think, one of the other reasons why I think the Cape Symphony is so uh, well liked is that we use a lot of media during our show. It's not just people sitting on stage. I try to make connections with video and, and help tell the story. And, and lighting, we actually have a lighting director who's, who's associated, Greg Hamm. So I almost like to say that every show is like a mini Broadway show, mm -hmm. that and complex. I think, uh, I think some folks out there may have seen The Wizard of Oz, mm -hmm. which was done recently. And uh, talking about having your back to the audience, as I recall, you had a scarecrow on your back at one point. I did point. have a scarecrow attached to my back. <laughs> That's right. And and I love breaking that wall, Gwen, Gwen, between the audience and the performers and orchestra. 
I love just sort of getting people to, to, to feel, listen, we're all human. We're all here live right now. Mm -hmm. And it's, as this is, <laughs> as this is, as, and nothing's more exciting. I hope we never lose that. There is a, a wonderful immediacy, whether it's in theater or music or mm. or on video, you know, to being live and and not being able to redo it uh, or edit it. So um, I think I, I I mean that's the one thing that I, that I hope we. This is one of the things I love about radio, even about a newspaper. Actually, is that it's written by someone the day before it's printed and it's and it's it's handed out. I think that there's something to be said about expertise about people who really know and how to report information in a, in a very um, uh, reliable way. So I'm a big supporter of print media and radio well, and, thank and, you. and broadcast journalism. He can come back anytime. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, we appreciate that so, that so much. And But we do find that, that social media um, helps to create sort of a, a group creativity where we may find an idea or people are doing things that you would never have thought of. And so you know, and I think of, I think of the symphony orchestra as like the original social social media group in the sense that so many people come together to to experience it and to listen to it live. It's almost becoming a lost art, except for maybe sports. But I think there will be a time when actually people may put on their virtual reality glasses and opt for that instead of actually being with someone, cheering and eating a hot dog together. No, and no, no. We cannot have that happen. But we should get back to you yeah. and music because I'm curious, when you were growing up, were mm -hmm. your parents musicians and was there music in the house? Uh, how did you become a musician? Well, my dad was an amateur pianist and, and guitarist, but his profession was certainly being a dentist, um, a pharmacist and then a dentist. My mother was a registered nurse, and uh, then the, she actually, of all things, went into real estate. Now, at that time, especially in Silicon Valley, that was a good time to go in, into that. So they really didn't want me to go into music. Mm -hmm. uh, my mother, like many Asian parents, wanted me to go into something that was perhaps much more traditional, like being a, either a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. But it was my passion. I mm -hmm. really pursued it. And my first job was teaching at a university in Pennsylvania, Lehigh University. Uh, and then through many other institutions I was, I was teaching at, I ended up at UC Berkeley. Mm -hmm. So she was very, very proud about that. But then I got, I don't want to say, um, I felt restless. I wanted mm -hmm. to do something else. So I joined the San Diego Symphony and helped that orchestra come out of bankruptcy. And we received one of the largest gifts ever in any orchestra's history of over $100 million wow. in one, one grant. And so uh, ever since then, I've taught at USC, University of Southern California, San Francisco Conservatory, a place called Interlochen in northern yes, Michigan. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I've come to the realization after having been at all these wonderful places and been with the Cape Symphony for 13 years is that what people really want more than anything else is a sense of joy. Uh, they come to the concerts not to necessarily hear an F sharp or a C sharp or even to hear Mozart and Mahler and Beethoven or Gershwin. What they want to do is to feel alive. I have to tell you, I think that when I was younger, the fact that I didn't feel that I could identify those notes on their own um, uh, would uh, um, would keep me away, you know. But mm -hmm. but it took a while to reach the point where you know that it's it's the parts that make you cry, yeah. That uh, you know that yes. you go for, 
And um, I always admire people who can enjoy music in that way and getting there. We have a, a comment, a question from Paul Groffy. Uh, how far in advance do you start preparing for each performance? Well, that's a really good question. And I would say sometimes as far as a year and a half, uh, and sometimes even longer, I, I will be talking to someone or I'll be on YouTube or I'll watch a movie or something and an idea will come into my head. And I kind of put it in my in my thought pocket, and, mm. and I'll come back to it. And when it's just the right moment, it's like saving that spice for just the right dish, the season. Mm -hmm. And I and I'll look at I'll look at the season in like in, in this brochure. Well, that leads us to a very good thing because I would like to look at that brochure with you, and uh, maybe you could tell the story of a couple of the um, the pieces that you're gonna the programs that you're gonna be playing. Certainly. So. Well, and just to finish up on Paul's question, mm -hmm. what I do is I look at the entire season. And then I, I say, okay, so this is the moment that I want to, um, I think this will fit really well. It's kind of like decorating a room. And then as we get closer, we, we look for the guest artist, if we have a guest artist. And then we, I fill in the rest of the pieces. We rent the music. We hire the musicians. But our very first rehearsal, as I said earlier, is actually only a few days before the concert. Mm -hmm. and people are amazed. It's like, oh, this must be like a if, – if you and I were putting a Broadway play together, we would start like six months ahead of time in rehearsals. Well, did you have to start a lot earlier for um, The Wizard of Oz because you were working with another yes. troupe? For the, for, yes. In, in that case, and when we do theater – the Center for the Arts actors. Yes. Yeah. We'll start nine months to a year just casting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, casting and then having rehearsals ahead of time. But for the, our normal concerts, we only rehearse about maybe two or three days before the concert in that regard. So that makes sense. And I have a, another question that's come in. Uh, does a conductor have to know how to play most instruments? <laughs> well, I get that question asked a lot. And the answer is no. Most conductors do not play all. Now, there are some who play many of them. But generally speaking, what we have to know is what what was the composer thinking? What was Beethoven thinking when he was writing this? And we will analyze the score. And I have taken lessons on many of the instruments, some string instruments mm -hmm. and some brass instruments. So I have a functional knowledge, but I'm more like a contractor. When you build a house, does the contractor who assembles all the, the tiler and the plumber and the electrician, does he know everything? No. No, they he knows the questions to ask. He knows the questions and to what ask. the standard is, so Correct. that that uh, you know he knows what the what the bathroom guy should be doing. You know, so. that's correct. He may not know exactly what wrench to use, but he knows what the result should right. be. That is how most conductors are. Interesting. And, uh, we and you learn to talk to them and talk to your musicians because they're they're far better at their instrument than you could ever be, ever dream mm -hmm. of to be. So you, you want to suggest something to them that doesn't sound stupid. It's like, I can't hold my instrument that way. That's impossible. You know, uh, and, and that's the, the progress of getting older and getting more experienced is you know how to draw the best out of those experienced masters of their instrument. So to get back to your question about right. the season, mm -hmm. you know, um, this coming season, I think, has we've gotten such an incredible response. Um, people are, are buying tickets so much faster than they ever have been before. And some people buy tickets even before even looking at the brochure. Now, that makes me so happy. Are they buying subscriptions? Yes, they are. Oh, excellent. Simply because they know that even though Jung Ho is going to take us on a wild ride of very unusual pieces and performers, we know it'll be fun. And so I, I think that's been a milestone for us is that people just want to buy it no matter what. 
That's wonderful. Good to hear. <laughs> Very comforting so. to, 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 to know that. But this season, as we, we go through, we start with a concert called Beethoven on the Cape. And at the heart of this, we, we've got Beethoven's pastoral symphony, symphony number six, in which he goes to the countryside and writes a symphony, what it's like to, to hear the birds singing and to sit by the brook and, and hear the peasants. And even there's a, a little bit of a storm. I know we get a lot of rain lately, uh, but um, it's a very dramatic, colorful symphony. It's the only symphony he ever wrote like that. Hmm. But we're also in the first half going to have an homage to the Cape. We're hiring a wonderful videographer to take some aerial drone shots of oh, the most beautiful ecosystems. And we're doing this with the the Harwich Conservation Trust, hmm. uh, which is an important organization, like other trusts around the, the Cape, who buy land and preserve it for posterity. It's not meant for development, just for hiking and enjoyment and species conservation. And so we're they're going to help us present this piece together. And on the second concert, uh, which is our first Pops program, Mancini at the Movies. Uh, I don't know if you like Henry Mancini or not. Yes. Moon River mm -hmm. and, and uh, Peter Gunn and um, just Breakfast at Tiffany's. All this great music. Mm -hmm. And uh, very accessible to people. Both beautiful and accessible. Yeah. We've invited his daughter, Monica Mancini, who's got this gorgeous voice she'll be singing some of his favorite songs and the orchestra will be playing some of the most famous film music and that's going to be a whole dedication to henry mancini the magic of mancini and then you're going to be selling um subscriptions to the producer patty and, and me before we leave we're like, wow this sounds great and and yeah. i like that you call it the whole season inspiring joy well you know when we about about uh seven years ago or so I could not remember our mission statement. In, in fact, I think most orchestras, they don't know what their mission statement is. Maybe it's to preserve classical music for future generations or something like that. Something that doesn't mean something really. So I said, what do we do? What is, what's the most important thing for our public? It's that they want to have joy. And so I said, let's just, let's just say what it is. Our main goal is to be happy and to share that joy with our audience through Mozart, through the Beatles, through you know all of this beautiful music. But when the day is done, let's let's have joy together. And I know that you're also growing your audience and diversifying it, um, partly with a program in schools to make kids familiar. Tell me about that. It's one of the things I'm most proud about is we have one of the most ambitious education programs around. For example, we have classical music playing at elementary schools every single morning over the speaker system for five minutes, every single day, not just like once a week or just occasionally, it's every single day. And the, not only do the students love it, they find that it's a great way for them to focus, but teachers love it too. It's, it's what a civilized way to begin the day. And I remember growing up, the only piece of classical music I I heard before age 20 was uh, was the one with the mouse sweeping, you know, the Disney piece, fan, right, uh, right, Fantasia. Right, right, yeah. uh, the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yes. Right. No, I, I would say that our kids, and, and what's also a, a love about it, it's free. Mm -hmm. that the kids are not charged for it. And we have other programs like called Music Memory, in which they memorize classical music. We just launched a new program called Link Up, in which we're giving kids free instruments. They're playing on the recorder, and they come and they can play with the Cape Symphony. We just oh, had that last so weekend. They get to play with the Cape Symphony. So we have a whole slew of, of, of uh, free, free programs 
for kids, and I think we're one of the best around the country. Well, that certainly seems like a, a big part of a, a symphony orchestra's uh, mission and and of its place in the community. I, it's what a reach that has. Absolutely, I'm I'm very proud about it. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you told I think us we have about another it. question here. Oh, we have another question from Karen Watkins. Uh, speaking of humor, we'll always remember metaphor of how many movies use and abuse classical music. Hamburger Helper. <laughs> See, you yes. got that joke better than I did. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I am known for metaphors. My, my orchestra will often laugh and write crazy things that I that I say. But this idea of Hamburger Helper of of sort of making uh, you know movies more classy or more elegant. Um, I think cl uh, cl uh, classical music can be helpful, but like I said, can be a hamburger helper type of uh, right. element. I think that uh, advertisers think, I'm getting the uh, the time up, but we're going to take one extra minute because I do want to um, uh, talk to you a little bit about your thoughts on the oceans, the proposed Oceanside uh, uh, performance, Performing Arts Center. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, we are running out of time, so just a little bit about what you think sure. you know, needs people, to happen. Uh, one of the great things about the Cape Symphony is, is that we've grown so much. Um, our audiences, we, I think per capita, have one of the largest audiences in the country. And it is time for us, I think, to get to have more concerts and to have a little bit more flexibility with what we're doing. The school, the high school, Barnstable High School, has been an incredible partner. I love working with them. They have been so, their staff and, and, and the facilities and the custodians, and it's just, it's been a great home for us. But I know that if we're going to progress to another level of what the consumer would like, we've heard that people would like to have a glass of wine occasionally at their concerts and, do, mm -hmm. and, and um, also to have perhaps more concerts during the summertime or during March, which we, because th their programming is, is filled during March. Mm -hmm. So we're looking for a home that could give us a little bit more flexibility for doing uh, creative things. And the truth is, is we're going to be at the high school for a while, and mm -hmm. and that relationship is going to continue to be strong. They, are, they do a nice job with acoustics. They do, and so. and we and we love working with them, but we're also looking far into the future as as tastes change, as people watch Netflix more, and they're getting more digital entertainment. We're also going to have to up our game in terms of in interactivity, and immersiveness. And so we have been working with different entities and talking in lots of different options. There's nothing to report right now, mm -hmm. uh, really, but uh, both the conservatory and the symphony are looking for um, new and improved venues so we can service our customers in a better way. So no news on the two sites that have there's been nothing, discussed. There's just nothing, okay. nothing, nothing new, and, and, and who knows what it may hold for us. But I got to tell you, no matter what happens, we are winners today. We have the world's greatest audience, the most passionate fans. I don't call them audiences. They're fans. They're rabid fans. And, and I wouldn't trade it if, if for, for any concert hall in the world. We have the winning combination right now. And you are growing um, your younger audience to, to step in. Yes, we, yes, we are. Um, you're right. And, and, and it's not just our young concerts, but even when they come to our regular concerts, their eyes and their smiles are so big. It's like, wow, we've got them hooked. That's, that's fantastic. I told you this would go by quickly, and we do have to go, <laughs> but is there anything, any last thing that you'd like to leave people with? 
all, all I can say is that if for anybody who hasn't been to the symphony before, or if you know someone who hasn't been to the symphony before, you uh, they are my favorite people in the world. Uh, like I said, the people who come on a regular basis, thank you, thank you, thank you. But for those people who have never been before, you are my target. I want to impress you. Thank you so much for coming today and sharing just a little bit of the program, which you can see on capesymphonyorchestra.org. Cape, Cape Symphony. Symphony, yes, capesymphony.org. And there's okay. so much more we have next season, so I ch know. check it out. Great, absolutely. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you, Gwen. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.